You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Well, Pastor Nate always prays for the Jets, sometimes for the Knights. And I'm telling you now, the Alabama football season is beginning in about three weeks. Come on. Sweet home Alabama. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about. That's all right. I do, and that's all that matters. And so does God, and that matters even more. Yep, Greenbow, Alabama. Mom always said stupid is as stupid does. Yeah. You guys ever see the uh, NCIS New Orleans? Yeah. Anybody see that? You know the guy, um, what's his name? Not King. No, not King, the other one. The young guy. He's from 20 miles from where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. So, what's his name? That's a different one, Deeks. I see you love it, Beck. Not. So, yeah, yeah, he grew 20 miles from where I grew up. So, if you listen to him talk, that's me. Yeah, there you go. How are we this morning, church? Doing good? Didn't Elijah do well? Yeah, I was just waiting for you to pray for us in your language. Because I think you said, no, no, serious. That's not a funny thing. I think it's a good thing. You should have nailed him. Don't, don't let him get off the hook. Nail him. No, the, uh, the, I think the first time you preached in English was the preaching class, wasn't it? So this would have been second maybe in English. That's not his first language. Yeah, everybody got saved in the preaching class, didn't they? That's good. He's on his way to a full sermon. Which is awesome. But you, you, at somewhere in there, you've got to break loose in your language, because if I do, you do. Right? See, they can't understand me either, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, the Holy Spirit will tell them. That'll be it. Somebody will get the gift of interpretation. Usually not my wife. She can't understand me either. We're from different parts of America. We're, our cultures are as different as New Zealand and yours. Believe it or not. I remember the first time I met her mother, very first time, we'd driven up to meet them from university. Very polite where I come from. Every woman who's older than you, you say, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Would you like a cup of coffee? Yes, ma'am. Would you like a piece, piece of cake? No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. And, and finally, she turned, her mother turned around and looked at me and said, stop calling me ma'am. I'm not an old woman. I went, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, it's just different culture. We eat different foods. All kinds of things. We speak different language. Her people defeated my people in a war, but we're coming back. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard Charlie Daniels? The South will do it again. It, it should say the South will do it because we never did it the first time. So <laughs> anyway, it, it's so good to be here. Hey, Pastor Simeon really enjoyed preaching here last Sunday. What'd you do to him? He doesn't want to come back to Central. What'd you do to him? I love seeing that. And you schedule me to preach. I've been preaching almost every week apart from holidays, almost every week now for over 37 years. So I love seeing these younger ones preach. And, uh, you know, some people over at Central, they need to pull their finger out and get a life because, oh, we miss you. It's younger ones now. And I'm going, so do you want a bunch of old farts up preaching or what? (laughs) Like some churches, it's like the youngest one in there, 75. And they came in on a walker. It's like, come on. And they complain about that. So you get the young ones up. Stop whinging. Lord have mercy. You know, it's like, I love seeing the young ones preach. You haven't preached for two weeks now. What's that? I I noticed in the prayer meeting, you were getting antsy. 
like Darren wanted to preach, didn't he? Hold the horses. Like he, he was ready to go. I was trying to get a, give him a signal during, while he's up here and he's just getting so into it. It's like, yeah, get away, Keith. I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, but these guys, I love seeing them preach. Love developing. Love seeing them preach and, uh, and stuff like that. No, I was here a month ago and I think I didn't preach. I didn't do a thing. Just sat there like a, a, a what is it? A pimple on a pumpkin. Is that right? I don't know. Hey, who? Christopher. She looked up. Yeah, Christopher. That's right. From. Now I'll say it. I'll say it in Alabama. Y'all know what he says when he says "roll tide." You don't know what I said. I said you know what he means when he says "roll tide." You didn't understand. You had to understand that one. Yeah, "roll tide." The the name of the football team in Alabama is the Crimson Tide. So that's what they say. If you ever see me wearing a shirt, roll tide. It's nothing to do with the gospel. It's to do with football. So away we go. And it's nothing to do with the cross. But anyway, everybody in Alabama is born again anyway. That's what it is. It's, no, not, not true. So we should pray right now for Alabama. No, no, they're not playing for two or three weeks. I, I, it is so tough because their games are on a Saturday, which hits right in the middle of church service Sunday morning. And I'm standing there going, oh, God, I want to check the score. The Holy Spirit saying, you do that, I'm not showing up. Yeah. <laughs> I have to wait till after the service. And go, oh, okay, they won. Yeah. By the way, if you think it's not important, it is when you're from Alabama and you've won five national titles in nine years, the last nine years. That's pretty important, isn't it? The, the head coach of Alabama, now this is a university, this is not professional. What are you laughing at, Joel? You know I can see everything here. I might be going deaf, but I'm not blind. And I am going deaf because of your kind with a loud music. Now, what are you laughing at? You're not going to tell. Keep going. Keep going. I better. Yeah, I better. What was I saying? Oh, the head coach of Alabama, university, this is not even professional, made $9 million last year. Wouldn't you like him to tithe here? Come on, baby. It's like, you think they're not serious. The, the, the stadium at the University of Alabama holds 101,000 people. Yeah. You know, it's like, and, and I don't even know the city's got that many people in it. I'm serious. So they come from far and wide. Anyway, let's get on with it. Right. What did you get me off track for, Chapman? <laughs> wow. Yeah, the uh, army days. Chapman, where are you going, Jed? Come sit down. No, go ahead. You can go to the bathroom. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, he's not now. <laughs> Hope you got a bladder like your dad because you're going to need it. I'm going a long time. <laughs> oh, he's so just like you, Darren. I swear. <laughs> I got to do the T-bar on him. Break him in? Yeah, okay. I had Darren doing air swimming twice, not only once, because when he said, how'd you do that? Oh, okay, he did it again. We'll talk about that later. Oh, we could tell her the story about in Malaysia? No, okay. On the first team. Beck loved it. <laughs> she was killing herself laughing. Anyway, Simeon loved it last week, and they love you preaching over there too at Central. They said, when's Darren, Pastor Darren coming back? I said, never, because I don't schedule over here anymore. Nate goes, it's all mine, buddy. You're getting nothing. Have you had Nate here yet? What's the go with that? Yeah, you guys ought to do a swap. Uh, one, oh, I've got to tell you. No, I won't. We, we need to get into it. Right. right so, listen, this is, it, we start a, a great series for this month, which is, which is a part of our vision of influencing our city for the kingdom of God, which is uh, so important. It's a big word. How do you even measure that? How do you measure if you're being influential? I think some people can only measure by numbers and things like that. Uh, it's far beyond that. It's far more than that. 
And, and we want to do this. We, you know, and it's both timely and strategic as we're putting, the, the board has said, we're going to put a stake in the ground and, and we're, going to, we're going to create the Victory Center. And we had our first initiative there last Tuesday. I think, Tameka, you guys, when are you going to get that thing in? They're looking at this music play group thing to draw community people with kids into there and, uh, and do that. We need that submission quick. Yeah. I know. Well, you, you can crack the whip. It's all right. Just, just tell her that we got to do this. But first initiative last week, which was good, and a man walked in there off the street with his kid. He just saw the balloons hanging outside, and the kid wanted a balloon. He was meant to go to the doctor, ends up walking inside, spending 20 minutes with our team, and, uh, and they sent him away with some food and invited him to come back to this, which is awesome. And we've already had a person born again there in the center, which is good. So we want you to pray for this. We want you to pray for creative ideas and initiatives. We don't want to do what everybody else is doing. There's a lot of, you know, right around our, our area there geographically, there are four unemployment agencies. So we go, okay, we won't do that. We'll just refer to them. And then there are other things. There are other welfare things. We want God to give us something unique to us that will meet a need and get people's attention for the kingdom of God. And so pray for us that that will come and for those kind of connections to happen with our city, which is extremely important because it's a substantial stake in the ground saying, we're not just asking you to be influential. We're saying as a church, as a leadership, we are, we are putting our money where our mouth is and our time where our mouth is and we're putting a stake in the ground and saying, we want this to work. It's not just your average community center. When you see a church running a clothing shop or whatever, it's not that. We want to see it go far beyond that and make an impact in the city. And it takes time to do that. You can't just do that by snapping your fingers. It takes time. So you, you pray for our church, all of us. We're, we're in this together. And uh, who knows, some of you might come down there and get involved in some things eventually like, you know, teen depression and suicide and things like that there that we run over the years as we move ahead. But today I want to kind of, you guys are going to have to hear part of this again. So I'm not going to apologize. You probably don't even remember what last week's sermon was. I have to look at my notes so I remember. It's true. It's true. Uh, how many, do you remember what Simeon preached last week? I know it's influence. Don't tell me that. It's more than that. He preached a lot. But anyway, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take them through that and then add a bit to it. I told you I was going to do that, didn't I? You guys were there, weren't you? So you just got to say yes, amen, preach it to everything because you know what's coming, right? Amen. Good. <laughs> You're in trouble anyway, so you better. No, they're awesome. I love, I love his music. He's got an anointing on him for that, doesn't he? So I'm going to put you in a picture because what I wanted to do last week as we start talking about influence I wanted to make an adjustment in our thinking in a couple of ways. I want to challenge some previous paradigms and practices. Paradigms, ways of doing life, viewing life, approaching life, and then the practice of that. And the first paradigm I want to challenge today, it was based on a teaching that went through the churches in the 90s. We actually had a guy come in and, uh, and teach this, and we had his CDs. I threw them all away eventually. He's a good guy. Don't, don't get me wrong. But it's this mentality that you're either called as a king or a priest, right? Some of you have a kingly calling, which means your calling is out there in the marketplace to influence for the kingdom of God. And some people have a calling uh, primarily or even exclusively in the church, for the kingdom of God. And so you either have a king calling or a priest calling, a marketplace calling or a church calling, either or. And I want to adjust that thinking. I'm not sure that's right. As a matter of fact, I'm sure it's not right. I, I, I'm going to stop being nice. 
And the teaching told you you had this calling to one or the other, and it was primarily there. Now, it is true. Many of you have a calling to the marketplace, and we want to affirm that. No doubt about it. We don't deny that. And some of us have a primary calling to build up the house of God, and we affirm that. We don't deny that. However, the deal is this. Any teaching that draws a line in the sand between this thing, the king and the priest, it, it, it causes confusion and segregation. It's not right. In the New Testament, all of us are called kings and priests. Did you know that? There's no such thing. That's Old Testament language. Oh, the Levites are the priests and the rest of us serve them. No, no, no. That's Old Testament. In the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 1, John writes and says to him, to Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What's he saying? Right there at the beginning, he's saying, this is what the cross did. The cross broke down the barrier between secular and sacred, between marketplace and synagogue. Got it? between the house of God and the people of God or the people in the marketplace. And he's saying, he washed us from his sins by his own blood and he has made us kings and priests. Not kings or, kings and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. He goes on in chapter five. It's not up on the screen. I'll just tell you that. Uh, Chapter five, verses nine and 10. And he says, Jesus has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. It's not either or, it's both and. And Peter grabs this thing. You know, the, you know, you've probably heard it before. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a what? Royal priesthood. Hello. You know, there is only two in history who are both king and priest. Named in the Bible. Did you know that? Well, sorry. Put Jesus in there and there's three. You know who they were? First one. Melchizedek. You guys got to be quiet on this one. Second one. David, obviously, and then Jesus. And interesting, it talks about Jesus walking in the footsteps of Melchizedek and David. And we are, as his followers, Christians, following in his footsteps, both king and priest. Not one or the other. Because, see, wherever we are at, we bring both the presence of God and the authority of the kingdom. Don't have to wait till Sunday to get somebody into the kingdom. Hang on, hang on, wait. I know you want to know about Jesus. Let me call the pastor real quick. This is the wrong thinking that emerges out of king or priest. Oh, no, I can't lead you to Jesus. That's the priest's job. I can't take you into the presence of God. That's the priest's job. No, we're all priests. We carry the presence. It's not somewhere you go to get. It's with us and in us and always on us. And so whether we're at work or home or play or church, we can bring peace, we can bring healing, we can bring deliverance, we can bring justice. We even think, oh, the church can't speak into justice arena. Well, is that so? How many have read the the, uh, biography of William Wilberforce? Funny name, isn't it? Wilberforce. It sounds like a powerful horse. Wilbur. You remember Wilbur? No, you don't. Sorry. Anybody here remember Wilbur? Right. How do you guys? You're young. Mr. Ed and Wilbur. Yeah, the talking horse. You don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, William Wilberforce was was an English politician in Parliament. And he became one of the supreme leaders in the movement to stop slave trading. As a politician in Parliament. And you go, oh, yeah, it's a good thing. Back then, they didn't think it was a good thing. Because, you see, for the British Empire and then for the colonies... 
That meant taking away this free workforce. It's going to affect the economy of nations. You think it was an easy thing for him to do to stand up and go, slavery's wrong? You better believe he was swimming against a very strong tide. And he didn't just swim against the tide in one session and people howl him down from the gallery, particularly the plantation owners. He began to swim against the tide that lasted for nearly three decades before it finally happened. Now, can you imagine the threats he must have received? Can you imagine the, what the press said about him during that period and things that went through society? He actually became a born-again Christian when he was about 26. And he, at that moment, God put in his heart, this is not right, that this needs to be changed. They are human beings. They are not animals. They are not slaves. They belong to no man but to God alone. And man, he started campaigning. And he headed the parliamentary campaign against the British slave trade for 20 years until the first bill was passed against slavery. 20 years. And in later years, in 1826, when he got too sick to continue as a, as a, a, a parliamentarian and he had to resign, he still championed the cause uh, for this, uh, this abolition of slavery and the campaign that led to the final abolition of slavery across the British Empire didn't happen until 1833, three days before he died. Now, you want to talk about influence? That influence didn't just happen in the British Empire. That influence finally migrated to the colonies or the states, these new states of America. And finally, slavery was abolished there. Now, this is what you call influence. And this happened in the marketplace by a Christian with no title as priest, no title as bishop, no title as pastor, but because the Holy Spirit put a burden in his heart to see society change. Did you know there is a city in our nation right now that, it, that there, are, there are numbers of people in that city standing up and saying, we will become a city without porn. It's Toowoomba. And you go, no way. That will never happen. Not with the internet and not with the trade and not with the dollars that are in that. That will never happen. Well, tell that to William Wilberforce. They would have said the same thing back then about slavery, which was just as powerful. You know? And this thing is happening so strong that uh, one of the persons in Toowoomba that heads it up got a phone call recently, not that long ago. And uh, in the phone call, um, she answered and a PA said, um, said the name, such and such wants to talk to you about this anti-porn campaign that your city is on. And she didn't think much of it and went, oh yeah, okay. The person had an accent. Not like Elijah's or mine, but had an accent, speaking English. So all of a sudden she goes, yeah, okay. And all of a sudden, the president of France comes on the line and says to her, we see what you're trying to do and we are very interested in how it's going because we need to do this in France. Now, it's a long way to go, but who said the church can't be influential in society? This segregation of the king and the priest anointing just causes bad thinking and practice, and it builds these walls between secular and sacred, and, and we just got to stop this because you don't find this in the New Testament. All of us are inspired by the Spirit of God to be influential for the kingdom of God wherever we are at and with whomever we are talking to or wherever the opportunities arise. Do you know, I have led more people to Christ through non-church activities than I ever have through church activities. 
which is true. I'm not the stand up front, speak to thousands of people as an evangelist and they flood the altar. That's not me. I can stand up front knowing there's multiple people in there that need to be born again and I can plead my heart out and one lonely person will walk to the front in tears. And then this other guy stands up and just says a few words and boom, they flood it and I go, what's that about? <laughs> but I know this. Well, I know that's not my gift. My gift, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, pastor. I know that. I see things in the scripture that people miss. I pull the stuff out that people just wash over. I'm happy with that. But I do know this. I have led more people to Christ through my sport, through connections, through... There was a time... Now, you can try to cast demons out of me later, but it's no good uh, because they don't go. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. But I had my own martial arts class for many, many years. I led more people to Christ through that martial arts class than all the other ministries in the church ever did. I I used to go jogging when I, I didn't have all these lower body, body injuries, and now I have to do bicycling. And, and I would always choose a partner based on two, two there had to be two qualifications for my partner in jogging. They had to be slower than me, and they had to be lost, not born again. Now, the reason they had to be slower was I can set the pace, which means I can talk. Right? Right? Because I don't want to get some sprinter or some marathon runner who runs so fast that I'm, I'm, my lungs are exploding and I can't talk about God while we're running. I've got a captive audience while we're running. Things like that. Um, all of us are empowered wherever we are at to bring the kingdom of God into places. So I'm, I'm challenging this kings or priests thing, but there's another thing I want to continue in the challenging of paradise, uh, paradigms and practices, and it's this thing I call the inside or the outside thinking. Yeah. Very akin. It's, it's where this segregation could occur, inside or outside thinking practice, and this is where somebody believes this. Well, my calling is to the marketplace. So I'll, I'll be an influence for God in the marketplace, but if and when I go to church, I'm just there to get I just come and sit and get. I, my, my calling is not to do anything inside the church but receive. Ooh. Or you got somebody like me going, hey, my calling is in the house of God, building up the body of Christ. You people can go in the community all you want to because that sucks. I'm just going to build up the people of God. Inside or outside? How wrong is that? It's almost like we're going to live, if mine is an inside mentality, I'm going to live like the Amish people excluded from society because they're dirty and I don't want to get polluted by them. I don't want them to touch me. They're unclean. So I stay away in every way I can, which means you live this little holy life with the Trinity, us four and no more. You know, or the person outside, if and when they ever gather together with the church, it's all just, I'm going to sit and I'm going to soak it all in. Here's the problem, like a sponge, yes, you'll sit and you'll soak, but you'll also sour. Leave your sponge. My wife always gets on to me. I'm the main dishwasher in our house. She's the cook. That's true. But I, gotta, I, I do have a habit. We all have habits. I won't tell you hers. I'll pick on me. Because I told her hers this morning. Anyway. There's only one. So here's my habit. I wash the dishes and without thinking about it, I'll just leave the sponge in the water. Thinking, well, something else is coming. I'll wash that. Get the sponge out of the water, Keith. It gets soured. She tells me all the time. Well, Christians who just sit and soak get soured. What you receive, you're supposed to squeeze out on society. 
What did Jesus say to his followers? Freely you have received, freely give. Don't freely guard, freely give. Hmm, different thinking, isn't it? So anyway, so I want you to track with me for a minute. I want to I want to look at two scriptures that bring both the inside and the outside and who's supposed to do them. The first one is is a one we've all heard about and maybe even read in different versions, Acts 1:8. Jesus is about to leave them, go back to heaven. I'm going to stretch the context for you. I'm not going to take it out of context. I'm just going to stretch the context context from nearly 2000 years ago and I'm going to stretch it to bring it into 2018. Right. Because you and I don't live 2,000 years ago. We don't live in the Middle East. We don't walk in Jerusalem. We've never been to Judea or Samaria. So geographically, that verse means nothing to us. But there is a context that transfers over into our areas of influence. Track with me. Okay, here we go. Verse 8. But you will receive power. It's not if, and it's not when you do something about it. It's you will. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit come upon you. They're not mutually exclusive. It's given to all. And you will be my witnesses. Stop. He didn't say you'll go about witnessing. This is not a verb. Serious. It is not a verb. It's a noun. A noun says who I am, not what I do. My name is Charles Keith Edwards. That's not what I do. That's who I am. Okay? Now, the word witness there is the same word. It's it's in the Greek. It's martures. Martyr. Martyr. Did you know the same word for witness is the same word as martyr? You know what it literally means? Somebody who will lay down their life for this truth because they know it is so real and powerful. And all of you become this. Now, the deal is, I, I do do something out of that, but not to become that, but because I am that. I go tell people about Jesus because I am a person who has witnessed the truth that sets us free. Yeah. And so I go tell them. But it's not that, look, it's not that I'm a, you know, I'm a witnesser because I witness. No, I witness because I'm a witness. Ah, you know what I mean. Right. Okay, so here's what he says. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want to stretch it, okay? So we're not in Jerusalem. You probably never be in Judea. They don't call it that anymore. Or Samaria. But it still applies today. So Jerusalem is like this. Jerusalem is your immediate sphere of influence. Your home, your workplace, your neighborhood. That's your Jerusalem. And as a person who has been set free by truth, you should be telling people in your Jerusalem about the great things of God. Then there's Judea. And that's like your closest sphere of influence outside of your home. That's like, well, that is like at church or at sport or hobby or when you visit the malls. And if you're a guy and you'd rather go down to the Harley shop, it's there too. (laughs) Right? It's wherever you are outside of that. Right? How many of you go to the gym? Anybody here go to the gym? Jed goes to the gym. Yeah, yeah, a few people. That's your Judea. That's not where you live, but it's where you go. And there are people in that gym, and there will be opportunities in that gym. I've had them. I go to the gym. Um, and, and I've had people walk up to me. I, I just got finished one day a cycle class. Probably did about 50 kilometers on the cycle. I mean, I'm sweating like a grease pig at a Hawaiian luau. It was not a pretty sight. And... and 
this girl walks up to me, and there's still people in the class. It's over, and I'm just sweating, getting ready to get off and get some more water. And she walks up and says, I, I, I don't know if she said you're a priest, a minister. She didn't use the word pastor. I don't think she under, even knows what that is. And she said, I heard you're a priest or a minister or something like that. I went, oh, yeah, I am. And she said, and she didn't even know my name. And she said, I don't know how she heard. I, didn't, I wasn't interested in that. I don't care about that. But what she said next, I did care about. She said, I, I have to go in and have an operation this week. And I, I'm, I'm afraid. I, I'm not comfortable going under and whether it's going to turn out well and everything. And, I, and she, was, she was nervous. I, I, I was just wondering if you'd pray for me. And, I went, and this is not the kind of girl, church, this is not a church girl. You can tell by their language in the room and stuff. And I went, sure, I'd love to pray for you, but there's one condition. She said, what? And I said, that I can do it right now. I said, because if, if, if you're asking me to do it later in private, I'll probably forget. And I don't want to say I'll do it and not do it. So can I just pray for you now? Yep. Put my hand on her right there. Her friends are watching in, in this sweaty, stinky room. <laughs> sweaty bodies everywhere. And I just put my hand on her and prayed for her for healing. In Jesus' name. Yeah. People get to know. They know you're a king and a priest in your Judea. And then there's your Samaria. That's your reach. Now, this is the tough one. That's your reach of influence beyond your comfort borders. You know what Samaria was to the Jew? Oh, that's the dirty people. They're the half-breeds. They're, they're the people we don't mix with. They're the people that have a different view on God and life, and their lifestyle is weird, and they're unclean. We have nothing to do with them. This is the kind of people that you don't normally rub shoulders with, but you will come in contact with. Different ethnic groups, different demographic groups than your own. If you are open and you are ready and you are willing as a witness to tell people everywhere, God will bring you in contact with these people. Some of you didn't grow up or you still don't under even have the slightest clue what it's like to be in a poorer single parent home makes you uncomfortable to be around those people. I remember when my dad left us. I think I was in year five, somewhere around there, year four or five. Y'all remember this is way back in ancient days, and it was very unpopular for your parents to split up. I was made, now we weren't Christians. You got to understand, I'm, I'm in a public school. I was actually made by my friends at school to feel like I was unclean. Like, here's how it happened. Remember, I'm 10 years old. Every day I'm used to hanging out with these kids at school and on the playground and having lunch with them and everything. All of a sudden, every one of them, without fail, say to me, we can't eat with you or hang around you any longer. I said, why? They said, because you don't have a dad anymore. I thought, do you think my mother is a whore who is hot to trot or something? That's probably what the parents are thinking. They're no longer safe to be around. There are people out there that your previous mentality would say, stay away from them. All they want is this or that, and they're not safe, and, and they're unclean, and they're the very people. Isn't it interesting in John 4, John says, and Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, that's not true. He didn't have to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, Jews didn't travel from Jerusalem to Galilee through Samaria, which is a straight line. They would actually swing out west beyond the Jordan, so they bypassed, took them days longer 
because they just did not want to be in contact with the unclean Samaritans. But God said he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because God had an appointment there with him with a woman who was unclean. And then a whole village came into the kingdom. This is your Samaria. There'll be people that you'll go, ah, I just think it's so, I don't feel comfortable being around them. Good. Your job's not to be the comforter. The Holy Spirit is. And then we've got the ends of the earth, okay? And this is, this is with whoever you come in contact with, wherever you are. Let me tell you about one. We, we celebrated these guys last week. How many years? 16? 16 years. Janet was, I don't know how many years. We celebrated staff who were, you missed it, didn't you, Jess? Because she was unwell. Oh, you're there. Good. So we had some anecdotal funny stories about these guys. And one of our pastors, Karen Thorpe, told the story about Janet. At Christmas time up in the area, we'll often buy multiple boxes of chocolate and go to the businesses around handing out chocolates and saying, hey, just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. You know, have a God bless Christmas and everything. So every, every, people went out in groups of two and they scattered throughout the whole business area up there at Charlestown giving out chocolates. So Pastor Karen's going with Pastor Janet and they're going down the Pacific Highway and they're going one to this business and one to the next business. Well, it just so happened Karen went into this one. The next business was naughty and nice. You know what I'm talking about? Shame on you. Anyway, (laughs) toys, toys. Anyway, naughty and nice. Janet bowls in there without any fear whatsoever and disappears and Karen's going, oh my goodness. So Karen comes out and there's no Janet. So Karen goes to the next one, gives the chocolate, comes out again. No Janet. Goes to the next one, goes in, gives the chocolate, comes out again. No Janet. Where has Janet gone? (laughs) So she thought she'd better go rescue Janet from this filthy owner of Naughty and Nice. And she comes in and Janet is just having this wonderful conversation with this man about Jesus. With all that yucky stuff around. And come to find out, she found out he has a heritage as a Greek Orthodox Christian, but somehow not walking in it. And was more than happy to talk about Jesus and be prayed for. That's a pretty edgy Samaria. (laughs) And I'm not telling you on your way home to duck into naughty and nice. So, okay. (laughs) Don't say that. What's that? Just to be clear. Just to be clear. Pastor Darren might tell you, but I'm not. (laughs) He didn't mean you, Jed. Okay, that's the outside scripture for everybody. Let me take you to an inside scripture that's for everybody. The previous one is out there, wherever you're at. This one is actually in here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people for what? To do his work and build up his church. Who's to build the church? Pastor Darren, we pay you and Beck, Pastor Beck, to build the church. No, we don't. We actually pay you to build up the people who are the builders of the church. You get it? And this will continue until, there's an important word, until. As far as I can tell in history and scripture, that hasn't happened yet. Until hasn't been reached in history. What is that point? Until we have all reached the moment in history where the body of Christ is complete and mature. We're meant to keep equipping you to build his house so that we can be witnesses out there. Got it? This is the end here. It's not an either outside or inside. It's both 
outside and inside. You don't just come and get, you also come and build. Well, I know you're going to say preach because that's true. So I want to tell you, church, it's time for us to rise up and be influential and be the people we've been called and empowered to be and to shake off this exclusive mentality that limits us to stepping in and serving and building and reaching and influencing and doing both and, not either or. All right, let me take you to one more point before we finish today. That was tearing down some old paradigms and practices. Uh, Out of this, I want to talk about the power of combined influence. So if we get it right and we're doing both and, we are out there as witnesses and we are in here as builders, you'll see that it's powerful. It's incredibly powerful. But here's the deal. One will affect the other inevitably. Listen to me. Weak church, weak influence in the city. Strong church, Amazing influence in the city. That's the way it works. That's the way it rolls. And from the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, you're going to see this synergy. I did this thing. I started trekking through Acts going, oh, my goodness, look at this. This is amazing how these individuals as a group and as individuals made an impact in their city as a covenant community. They, they, they grew each other and they cared for each other. And yet together and even individually, they went out there and it just, it, man, it was just incredible. And it captured the attention of the people of the city. Rick Warren asked, I think it's Rick Warren asked this question. If your church stopped existing tomorrow, like in other words, if we, if we shut the doors and go, hey guys, you know, we've had a good run. It's been real. It's been nice. But honestly, it hadn't been real nice. So we think it's time to pull up stumps and call it a day. How many out in the city would even know we're gone? Really? These guys over here would probably go, sweet, we got the whole car park. Is that about all they'd know? Listen to the phrases used by the historian that talked about the church. His name is Luke. He's a doctor. He's a historian. He used phrases, and interesting, in one of my commentaries, the heading above one of the chapters was their reputation in the city. The first church had an amazing reputation in the city. Listen to the phrases. I'm going to go through these quick. Stay with me, Josh. Chapter 2, verse 47, enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, I only picked out a few. And when it says all the people, it's not saying all the church people. It means the city. The, the message version puts that verse like this. People in general like what they saw. That's pretty good. And then you go to chapter 5, verse 13. They, the church, were highly regarded by the people. The city esteemed the church. Yeah. Now, I don't have to tell you that to, in today's age right now, there's a question mark over the church in Australia. Yeah. Whether we like it or not, we're in the same boat with all the ones who've been doing pedophilia. That doesn't mean we did it, but we're in that same boat. It is now our role to redeem that. We've got to buy it back and get it back. We don't stand and throw rocks at the ones who did it. We rise up and become influencers who, again, get the city to go, hey, you guys are awesome. Okay, chapter 5, verse 26. This is an amazing story. They go to the temple to arrest the, the apostles who are preaching, but they're having such an impact on the people that these guys were afraid that If we handle these guys roughly, the people are going to stone us. These are religious leaders. Pharisees and scribes are afraid of the people because it said the chief and his police went and got them, but they handled them gently, fearful that the people would riot and turn on them. 
Imagine having the city on your side against religious leaders or authorities. Don't you dare touch them. We love what they do. And, and we see that from chapter 2 to chapter 6, there was this positive influence on the city by the church. Now, you sit down and read Acts. You could read chapter 2 to 6 in a matter of minutes, really. Chapter 2 to 6, they say, could be as long as six years. Which meant, which meant there was this steady, solid influence for years on the city by the church. Even the religious people didn't like them, the religious leaders, but the city loved them for years and years. They didn't just have a conference and everybody go, wow, we love the business you bring to our little deli that's near the conference. Man, this went for years. And what happens in this combined, this power combined influence is it wasn't just what they saw, what they said about the church. It's what they saw and influence and saw and experienced from the church also. The people of the city actually saw it with their own eyes and they experienced it with their lives. Now, here's my question. Who out there is actually experiencing anything of the kingdom of God because of us? That's a good question to ask. We ought to be able to answer that. And some do, but it needs to increase. Now, watch this. They're watching what's going on in this new community. Okay, as far as they're concerned, this new community is a cult. It's a sect. But they favor them. They highly regard them. They protect them even. What are they seeing? Chapter 4, verse 32 and 34 says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. That's in contrast to Jewish religion where they weren't. There was this great divide between Pharisees and Sadducees. They were constant arguing and at war with each other. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 34 said there were no needy persons among them. Totally different to society, where society had no obligation or responsibility to take care of people on a dole or who were unemployed or widows or widowers or old people. And all of a sudden, this new community starts gathering their possessions and throwing them at the apostles' feet, saying, We've got a lot. They have nothing. It's going to be shared now. It's like the guy who um, the pastor said to him, you know, would you give to the poor if you needed to or people who didn't have? Oh, yeah, of course I would. So would you give your stereo? Yeah, of course I would. Would you give them some of your food? I'm sure I would. Would you give them your car? No, I wouldn't give them my car. Why? Because I've only got one. That's a joke. So in other words, I'm not giving because I've only got one, and that's for me. I'm not going to share it. These people sold everything they had and laid at the apostles' feet and said, this is not right that we've got much and they have nothing. And the city watched this and went, whoa. They might be a sect, but I tell you what, they're the real deal. The people saw this new community living in a covenant that they had never seen before. So, and, and I'm telling you, it's so different to our day and age where people church shop. You know what I mean? It's like, pastor, season's up. You know what that translates to? The programs down the road are better for us than what you're running. So we're going over there. Or we like the building better. Or we like the preaching better. We like the music better. What about relationship and covenant? Like, the city just watches it and shakes their head and goes, can you imagine at work? Oh, yeah, you go to victory, don't you? Yeah, I used to. 
Oh, okay, where are you going now? I got the one down the road. Right. Okay, so you went to Victory for five years. No, I went there for three because before that I went to the other one. I mean, on average now, people move church once every seven years in Australia. What do you think that's saying to the city? It's saying the same thing they say. Well, you know, I used to love going to the movies at Glendale, but man, as soon as Hoyt's upgraded, that's where I go. Isn't that true? Church shopping. That's not covenant. Listen, this new community was living out the words of Jesus. By this, by your love for each other, everybody will know you're my disciples. Not because of the programs in the church, your commitment to each other. They witnessed this thing, but you know what? They experienced it also. Chapter 5, verse 16 said this. Crowds gathered wherever they heard this church doing stuff. Crowds, and you know what that means? It didn't mean church buildings. Did you know the church could not even rent property for the first, I think it's 300 and something years of the church? It was illegal because of the Roman Empire for you to rent a building for religious purposes. So when it says they gathered, it's not talking about in a church building. It's talking about wherever they were. And the crowds gathered, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. They didn't just hear about it. They then started getting in on it. They started experiencing the power of God. If you go near to the end of chapter 5, you know what, gonna, you know what, you know what you're going to find? People came from other cities also bringing all their sick and their demon tormented to be healed. They even laid them on mats in the street hoping that even the shadow of Peter would fall on them and heal them. Now, what does that say to you? What do you think you miss out of that? The crowds are so flipping big, you can't even get close to Peter. But maybe, just maybe, if the sun is shining the right direction and his shadow falls across my brother who is crippled, it'll heal him. I don't need Peter to touch him. I just need his shadow to fall on him. That's the city saying that, not the church. Come on. How good is this? I got two more. Stay with me. This is interesting out of chapter 6 and 8. Now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, did wonders and miraculous signs where? Among the people out in the city. All right. Chapter 8. When the crowds in Samaria, by the way, heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention to what he said. So there was great joy in the city. Who's Stephen and Philip? They are two of the first seven men chosen in Acts 6 to do what? Not to hold an office or a title, but to wait on tables. The word is literally waiting on tables. You know what that meant? Not waiters. It meant they had tables set up where widows would come and they would, you know, they, they've got all... Okay, let me put you in picture. The church is now in... It, it's thousands strong. Some could say well above 15,000. You've got widows who can't be cared for because they have no family to care for them. They come to the church... All the people of the church are laying their possessions and their money and their goods at the apostles' feet. It needs to be distributed. Can you imagine how big of a business that would have been? Not in making money, but just doing it fairly. So that everybody, their needs were met. Somebody needed to wait on these tables where it was distributed. And the apostles said, that's not my calling. My calling is to get the word of God into you and to pray for you. And if we do that, if we're serving tables, we're not going to get the word of God to you. Right? So choose seven men who have a good reputation, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and have wisdom. And it actually says in the New King James, we will hand this business over to them. Sorry, Beck, but they weren't allowed to sell the business like crumb. They had to give it to them. Waiting on tables. 
Stephen and Philip were two of the seven men chosen to wait on tables. But what do you read here that they were doing? They were out in the streets, speaking the word of God and healing the sick. Just ordinary men. You see this? Now here's my point. Listen to me. Don't miss this. Because they are serving inside and the church is getting strong and a reputation and things are happening and crowds are gathering, they are also able to go over here on the outside and preach the word and people are born again and the sick are healed and they're brought from all over to get with them. As a matter of fact, the first, the first martyr, literal, gave his life, was stoned to death for Christianity was this man, Stephen. Wow. What happens inside will have an effect on the outside. There's no doubt about it. But if you've got a weak church because people have got this either or, you don't have a combined influence. But when you've got a strong church, you're going to have a strong influence into a city. Let's stand our feet. I, I, the only call I've got for this is for us to shake off old thinking that's possibly even unhealthy and unbiblical and to receive what God says about us. You have received the Holy Spirit. You have power from on high. You are my witnesses. He didn't say you will become or you will do, but you are. It's just a matter of what kind of witness are we? Am I a passive witness, afraid to open my mouth when the opportunity is there? Or am I stepping into that boldness that the Holy Spirit gives me when an opportunity arises? But am I also a person who loves the house of God? This is my family. We are in covenant together. If I've got something you need and you are doing without, I would be willing to release that to you. Listen, you don't know, but the cars, the washing machines, the furniture, the food that we have released to people, because we're not going to stand up here and trumpet it to you, but we do it. But I tell you what, we don't have to say anything. They'll tell their neighbors. They'll tell their friends. And it happens. It doesn't happen as much as I'd love it to because if we had more, we would give more. Man, I'd love to give away a dozen cars a year. Freely you've received, freely give. It's time for us to, number one, fall in love with the house of God for what it is. My family, my covenant family. And it's time for us to step out in the boldness that we've received as a witness. Why don't you just stretch out your hands right now? Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.